Welcome to Wisdom Flow Yoga Podcasts. In this discussion, Jennifer and Sarah talk about peaceful diversity, choosing to celebrate and live that which you want, that which is right for you, without needing to judge or push against that which you do not want. Choosing what's best for you and making peace with that which you do not choose. And this sutra is from book one, the Samadhipada, um, the book of spiritual consciousness, and it's verse 33. And it says, by sympathy with the happy, compassion towards the sorrowful, delight in the virtuous, and complete disregard of the wicked, the positive mind is strengthened. And what we're interested in is really seriously complete disregard of the wicked because as you know there's so many rallying against this and shaking a finger against that and lobbying and voting against that and laws to stop this and that what do you think Sarah pushing against is it a good thing if it if it doesn't make you feel good then it can't be a good thing. That's what we're trying to get down to with the simple guidance system is that when you're feeling good, you know you're on the right course. And what we're trying to find, what was the last line of that one? The uh, complete disregard for the wicked. Is it responsible to turn a blind eye? Well, if we're focusing, if we are creating our reality and we are focusers of energy, when we are focusing so heavily on something and pushing against it, we perpetuate uh, energetically that cycle. And in some ways, quite tangibly too, in obvious ways. The story that we were discussing was the, um, the seal hunters in Canada and how the, uh, the, environmentalists and movie stars and protesters are arriving every winter to um, stand up against the hunters that are still hunting seals and what's happened is that there's now an entire culture a village that is living off of entertaining housing accommodating the protesters that come in and so the incentive to stop the seal hunting is isn't there because it's actually the economic revenue for the province crazy like in the sea shepherd documentary when they were looking for where who's buying the seal the baby seal fur and they couldn't really see why the the hunters were continuing to harvest the baby seals because they couldn't see the market for the baby seal hair and seal, seal fur and then they started looking at the yeah, the income that the, the nearby towns were getting from people coming up to rally against the seal hunters. And they were one, I think they were wondering even, is somebody secretly suggesting to the seal hunters that we'll give you a cut of our income if you continue bashing these baby seals so we can piss people off enough to get them into our hotels and restaurants? Yeah, how's the protesting going? And so the antidote to that problem was the suggestion that people should stop showing up to protest, which doesn't feel right. It feels like there's some sort of disregard uh, turning away from a problem, but but actually it is appearing to be the solution to the problem. Yeah, so interesting. Like Abraham Hicks, um, I would say my main teacher, uh, says your attention to it brings more of it. 
whether it is wanted or unwanted, your attention to it increases law of attraction, drawing it into your life, drawing it into your experience. Mm -hmm. And then one of my favorite stories that Abraham tells is, he says, when you walk into a department store and you're shopping for clothing, you look for all the things that are pleasing to you. But while you're shopping and delighting in the things that are pleasing to you, you don't feel like you need to write a petition against the ugly clothing or pay attention to what is displeasing or pick it outside the store because they're selling things that you think are, are ugly. You just choose what you want, you buy it, and you leave the rest for others who might like the things that you don't. Buffet table, too. And then the problem that arises with that storyline for people in their minds is, well, what about the things that are just not right in the store? Like, say there's a, a shirt that's being made of a fabric that's creating environmental downfall in the, in the processing of it, or that it was sewn together by kids in a sweatshop. And, and then what? You know, I can choose something other than that, but what about that thing that is still being created, that's still available to people to choose? And the idea of it is that, like all things in retail, just like in life, if, if people stop choosing it, it eventually the need and desire for it or manufacture of it goes away and, and the system changes. So it's better to make... Uh, a more correct choice for you and disregard um, the models that are becoming outdated. There's an evolution and sometimes it doesn't happen as quickly as we like, but if people continue to educate themselves and, and make appropriate choices, then these things that we rally against will disappear because no one will actually want it anymore. So true. And when we do pick it and rally and riot against things, in a sense, we strengthen those things by encouraging those who are proponents of them to shore up their defenses and tighten their counter arguments and find tactics to um, get around uh, any kind of barring or limiting that we might try to put on them. I mean, I think about the, the GMO movement and how there's so many crafty counter arguments coming from Monsanto that were inspired by people, you know, making accusations in their whatever they're lobbying or they're picketing. And then Monsanto is just getting really creative about their counter arguments. And, you know, there's I, I don't know if it was you or somebody else who was saying they met somebody on an airplane. Uh, who was uh, works at Monsanto? Oh, it's my friend Lynn. Yeah, and so she had, was mentioning a few of the things that we all know about GMO. Don't didn't you hear this? And didn't you hear that? And the woman had all of these really pat counter arguments about why GMOs are good for people. And didn't you know they're doing this? And and I thought about this this very thing as every time we push against someone or something, it its defenses get stronger. Mm -hmm. And so we're actually doing ourselves a disservice if we do think that it's not good for humans for that thing to be around when we push against it. And we go back to that sutra, 
complete indifference for, the, for what we see as inappropriate or wicked. It's a tough one. It's a tough one. But I do feel that, that as we, I mean, think, okay, here's, here's one of the best ways I've really come to understand it. Have you ever been in a situation where a, there's a conversation going on and somebody says something inappropriate and mean-spirited and it just brings the whole group to a standstill, absolute silence, awkward silence? And rather than somebody in this conversation saying to that person, that was really mean. I can't believe you said that. It's just absolute silence. And you notice in those situations that the person who said the mean-spirited thing gets really, really uncomfortable. Because in the absolute silence, they're able to get a really clear reflection of what they just put out. Whereas if somebody would have jumped in and said, I can't believe you say that, you're a jerk, you shouldn't have said that, they immediately go into defending what they said. And they'll actually sort of push away a real reception of the, or reflection of what they just put, put out. Mm -hmm. And that really brings me back to the power of that sutra. And just think, let's go for the buffet line, you know, in a, in a buffet, and this is also from, from Abraham Hicks, that when you're lining up and all these choices are on the, in the buffet table, you're not necessarily um, upset at all of the things that you're not going to eat. You're just putting on your plate the things that you want and leaving the rest for others who might want those. But then... If you're at, if you say you're a vegetarian because you think it's better for the earth and better for animals, or, um, and you fill your plate with salad, saying nothing other than "Wow, this salad looks great," and appreciating what you're choosing, and you sit down with a bunch of people, do you think that you would be a more effective proponent of vegetarianism and, or that lifestyle choice if you just happily chose your salad and kept your mouth shut? Or if you were at the buffet table with everybody else and you were commenting on meat is bad and why are you choosing that and I choose this because I'm a vegetarian. You know, we've all known people who have that kind of self-righteous energy and it doesn't really make that choice an attractive, more of an attractive choice. In fact, it's like a, you feel sort of defensive and righteous in your own meat-eating choices mm -hmm. more so because of that touting and preachy vegetarian so interesting people will turn their ears off when you start in like that whereas if they were to watch you enjoying your salad and observe that you are healthy and and have great color in your skin and your eyes and that you seem to be really content and you're living this great lifestyle that is a, an indicator of your dietary choices or maybe they say to you wow you know what's going on for you you just seem like things are rocking in your world oh, I'm feeling really good you know this is the way I live and this is how it fuels me and that's way more inspiring than pointing a finger and telling yeah. someone that what they're doing is not right and that makes me think of, of two things from two great teachers. One is Byron Katie. She says, how do you know somebody's doing, somebody needs to do something? And, and her simple answer is they're doing it. Because people are going to do what they need to do until they're done doing it. Mm -hmm. She says, if you think somebody should be doing something, you need to do it. 
if it's so charged in you that you're pointing fingers and telling other people that they should do it, you do it. If it looks good, other people will ask you about it and follow. Mm -hmm. Just do it to your fullness and then, like you say, you'll be interesting, sort of a beacon or shining example. And then the second thing that brings me to is one of the things that Jesus was trying to teach us is that any true change is going to happen in the heart of the person. So even if we think we're going to make laws or push against or force people to do things the right way, the, as soon as that pushing or forcing or that law is taken away, they'll just go back to the same impulse, right? And, and don't we want them to eventually each person come into the truth of their own heart and make the change that way? And then you go back to that sutra, the power of complete indifference. You're allowing people to come to their own goodness in their own way and in their own terms. And that's where true change is, a change of the heart. And again, pushing against something, people will put more armoring and defenses around their heart. And in that silence and that allowing and accepting of everybody and their own path, even though it may seem freaky to us, gives them that space to really come home to themselves, to feel who they are, to feel what's right and wrong. When they're not having to defend their choices, then they can really feel, oh, that's not right for me anymore. Oh, that doesn't feel good. Yeah, mm -hmm. powerful stuff. Everybody wants freedom, yeah. freedom of choice, and yeah. they'll defend a choice that may be even consciously or unconsciously insane to them yes. just because they are defending their right to choose. Right. But if you give them the space, then you give them the right to have an evolution right? with the freedom that goes with it and come to those decisions on their own, their choices on their own. Right. It's like it's lasting. when Ramtha says, if you have a nasty little impulse, a self-sabotaging habit, the best way to get over it is give yourself permission to do it more. Do it more, do it more, and then you'll just naturally get sick of it, right? That's how you cure an addict. Yeah. You give them all that they could possibly want yeah. until they want no more. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And you, you think about how that happens in reverse when people go on diets. They, because, like you say, we're naturally free. And if somebody's trying to restrict our freedom to choose, we're going to push against that restriction. And sometimes when we go on diets, then we're sneaking food, and it gets even worse. The inner teenager comes out. Right. Says, Don't tell me what to do. Right. Do what I want. Wow. Really good stuff, really good stuff. And I like how in the teacher training you tied this into the net of Indra because somebody in the class was saying, gosh, okay, so that simple choice of turning away from the, you know, the, the, the veal or the, the veal that's prepared with milk, that's supposed to be like the ultimate, you know, some thin. milk and egg batter uh, that, the, that the veal is dipped in and then, you know, so people like get yeah, the flesh of the, of the baby cow soaked in the mother's milk, you know, that's an abomination, how can people do that? Um, uh, and, you know, and they say, oh, just turning away from that and not saying anything to anybody or people who are preparing that food or choosing that food, that's really going to make a difference. And then you brought up the, the story of the net of Indra and uh, how 
or the butterfly effect and how these little choices that we make, we may not even know who's watching us or being affected by us, but simply the energy of making those choices because it feels really good and right. It makes us feel better. It makes us feel like we're um, a shining example. Uh, the whole net glows a little bit brighter when the little jewel of our heart just gets a little brighter because we're choosing what we think is going to bring more beauty and goodness in the world. So could you talk a little bit more about that? Feeling good is, is shiny and attractive. And uh, yeah, the, the net of Indra that each of the points of intersection of the net is, is each of us and that each intersection point is a jewel that has multi that is multifaceted and that when each jewel uh, shines a little brighter all the other jewels that are these intersection points in the net reflect back that light mm-hmm. and so the entire net starts to sparkle and sometimes it's hard for us to um, see the impact of our small choices but really every choice is the same. We're the ones that put the value on if it's grand or if it's minuscule. We really don't know the effect that these little, to our minds, small choices are having on others or the world around us, like the butterfly effect. Yeah. And that if you, if you are making the choices that are right for you that make you feel good and spending your, your uh, energy and your focus on that rather than the things that make us mad or things that make us want to rally and protest then we're actually adding to the shimmer of the net instead of uh, reflecting back the the old the stale mm-hmm. the uh, expired ways yeah yeah and and of course taking this this discussion to an extreme and we and we'll do that in another podcast you know, you bring bring it brings up things like, well, you know, what about Hitler in World War II, and what about um, you know a bully who you find is beating up a more weak and innocent person? Do you do you really just ignore the wicked in those extreme situations? Mm-hmm. You know, when we've all been in in situ, well, many of us have been in situations where, oh my gosh, there's a real a call to action, an immediate call to action to do the right thing that might mean harming somebody else or just really putting us in danger's way. And, and then so where does this philosophy turn in situations like that? And that brings up stories like the story of Arjuna in the Bhagavad Gita. And, and that'll be another interesting podcast that we'll bring to you. Stay tuned for that. <laughs> Thank you.